Good morning, everyone. My name is Trace Marine. This is my wife, Catherine. And this morning we worship Jesus by celebrating the power of the gospel to create a new and beautiful culture. The gospel gives Christians a new identity in Christ through which new creations in Christ make a home in new realities through Christ that both cultivate and celebrate higher standards for life and love together. Please join us in reading today's verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now please join me in the call and response. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass withers, the flower fades. Thank you, Murray's. Good morning, everybody. I add my greetings to those you've heard. Good morning. morning. It's good to have uh, you all with us. I thought I had the hard part preaching about lawsuits and fleeing sexual immorality till I heard uh, Becky's introduction to our prayer. We celebrate our our leadership development programs, but it's medical school. All right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Callan knew it, yeah. Uh, it's amazing how, you know, uh, putting this sermon series together seemed so exciting in the spring. And then once we get into the nitty gritty, we're like, wow, this is tough stuff every week. Um, it's a lot of fun, though. Uh, we have seen and we celebrate how the gospel not only uh, deepens our awe for who God is and what he's done, leading us to exalt Christ, but uh, we have celebrated how the gospel uh, enhances our relationship so that we can truly love each other in truth and celebrate truth in love by we become more like Christ. And this morning we're going to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ creates a new culture, a place in the body of Christ where humanity can flourish. We truly have a higher ideal for our life and love than what we often settle for uh, in our everyday life. Here's Here's a true statement that I think highlights the Uh, uniqueness of the culture that's created by the gospel in the church in how it stands as a counterculture to the world we live in. Uh, When you drive down the highways in San Antonio, uh, you see more billboards for litigation and feeding our appetites than anything else. I mean, I can just hold up one number and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We can't get off the highway just right over there uh, without seeing a number to call so that we can sue somebody. And now for our lawyers in the room, we're not going to come down heavy on lawsuits. Uh, We are going to rise up high on the opportunity that the gospel gives us in our life and our love together. Uh, There's a deeper substance than just living for feeding our appetites or litigating against other people to what to get what we think is right. 
Um, the truth is that the church, Big C, uh, and us as an FBC family, in, in many ways, we've been wrecked and knocked on the side. And, and many Christians are like bees outside the hive without a real sweet gospel home. Did you see the news from Canada this week? I know you all read Canadian headlines like I do. Um, five million bees were knocked out of their hives when, uh, when a truck obviously lost all the beehives there. They gave emergency 911 calls to beekeepers in the area who were roused out of their homes and came to help. And you can see, I love this picture. It shows the, the generational differences, doesn't it, uh, between the older beekeeper with an overprotective suit on and the younger beekeeper who's like, ah, who cares if I get stung, right? But this reality, uh, that did you know this? Honeybees cannot survive more than 40 minutes outside their hive. Do you know that? Even if they have a full belly of honey, they have to go back to their hive more than 40 minutes. And so it was essential that, that these folks responded and helped the bees get back to a safe place where they not only could survive, but really thrive in, who, in what they're designed to be as honeybees. Uh, in the same way, our hope and our prayer is that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ invites you, it captures you uh, outside, knocked out and wrecked by the, by the culture, that you can come back to the sweetness that is a gospel culture, that you can see uh, and learn to savor the higher ideal that God offers for us in humanity when we find restoration in the gospel. Now, what is a gospel culture? Uh, I'm going to use uh, these words from uh, Ray Ortland. Uh, he's a pastor, and I love this quote from a book that he wrote celebrating the power of the gospel uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, gospel culture is a shared experience of grace for the undeserving. The corporate incarnation of the biblical message in the relationships, vibe, feel, tone, values, priorities, aroma, honesty, freedom, gentleness, humility, cheerfulness, indeed, the total human reality of a church defined and sweetened by the gospel. Now, this section of 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul is putting out a couple of brush fires. But he's doing more than addressing uh, uh, the, the second and the third issues of the Corinthian church. He's actually inviting us to something greater. But we need to start the center of this chapter uh, where we celebrate how gospel identity uh, is what is the center of a gospel culture. Gospel cultures is centered on a new identity in Christ. You see this in verse 11 that was read. And such were some of you. This past tense designation of Paul is something that is meant to emphasize who we have become in Christ. Now, identity is something that everybody in here craves. Some of you cultivate identity uh, through your performance, uh, through claiming your pedigree, through leading and, and, and uh, uh, living out of certain positions, trying to establish a, a level of prominence and productivity. Others don't uh, cultivate an identity. You try to curate one. You try to create one online uh, or social media, and we're living for an identity. Paul wants to emphasize that, that Christian Identity is based on the work of Christ in its center 
to the gospel culture. Uh, many of us in here are like, like Oliver Twist in uh, Charles Dickinson's book with the same title. Have you read this book? Uh, maybe you know the play. Oh, hey, yeah. like Oliver Twist is born in this orphanage, and it's like this work camp, and he's dressed in uh, dirty rags, he's destitute, and he seems destined to live uh, a life of petty fiefdom, members of little boy gangs. And he's always desiring to break his identity in an orphan. He's always desiring more. And my favorite scene of the whole uh, book and the TV version, the play, is when uh, Oliver Twist goes to Mr. Lipkins. You remember this scene? After dinner, and he's like, Sir, may I please have some more? And Mr. Lipkins looks at him and goes, More? Never before has a boy asked for more. And it goes into that song, Oh, hey there, oh, hey there. Never before has a boy asked for more, right? Yeah. It's funny to you all, but Oliver was devastated as a little orphan that longed for more of life, longed for a different identity than just being an orphan. And many of us as Christians live out of that poverty. We look at God as somebody who's stingy and we can't ask for more. And we live as if we don't have a family, that we're on our own, out of the hive as orphans. And we live with a scarcity mentality. But a gospel identity is rooted in the finished work of Jesus. You see, when we live for an identity, we see billboards. We, we feel this need to be made right. We, we, we have these invitations to just live off these baseline desires in our humanity. And we go, we respond. And this is what Paul says right before verse 11. He gives 10 different nouns that are describing people who have been living in rebellion against God. And it's comprehensive, Right? Uh, verse 10, uh, we'll start at the end of verse 9. Do not be deceived. The sexual immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, people who practice homosexuality, thieves, greed, drunkards, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are just indiscriminate. Everybody who's living rebellion, unrepentant lives outside of loving, truthful relationships where we're called to fruitfulness and a higher ideal uh, and raising our hand in rejection of God. We, we're living with orphan mentalities, truly believing that these opportunistic uh, places can really satisfy us. But they don't. They leave us empty. And Paul uses uh, these 10 nouns to describe people who live in rebellion against God. But then he gives three different past tense verbs, verbs that have been done to people that have come to Christ, that have moved from being orphans to children, sons and daughters of God who can live out of an abundant mentality with God. We have a new identity in Christ that's, that's not characterized by our past, by our sins, by our struggles, by our rebellion against God. We have a new identity in Christ that's characterized by what God has done for us. Look at these past tense verbs. You were washed clean. You don't have a, a scarlet letter no stain of sin even remains in Christ. You're sanctified. That means you're made holy, like, like metal that's refined in a fire, the dross removed to become more pure, more set apart, more valuable. We've been sanctified in Christ. We've been justified in being united with Christ. We not only have the gift of forgiveness, hear this, 
where Jesus became our sin on the cross, we also have the gift of his righteousness. Spiritual billionaires, wealthy in the work of Jesus, so that we can come to the Father expectantly, not as orphans, expecting God to go, oh, hey there, oh, hey there, never be philosopher, ask for more, right? I'm horrible at that. Why? Why did I even try singing it? I don't know. Maybe so you would feel the emphasis of how foolish it is to be made righteous by Jesus Christ and to come to God as an orphan. We have this new identity that gives us the richness of God's love. And it gives us an opportunity to have a primary community, a gospel-centered community. And gospel culture is cultivated through embracing both intimate and infinite realities, new realities in Christ. Now, here are the two specific issues. First uh, was litigation. Christians suing other Christians in what we know as civil cases. Second, feeding baseline desires of our humanity sexual appetites, like someone that just hungers for something and feeds feed yourself. You can't stop grazing. So the first brush fire that Paul puts out and wants to really grow a gospel community is this uh, litigation, lawsuits. And you can tell in verse 2, uh, uh, he calls them trivial suits, uh, trivial cases. So we know from that language that these are actually civil suits. They're not criminal. Um, they're civil involving property. Uh, they're involving... Um, you know, different sorts of rights, uh, civil cases. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, but, but Paul is, is really uh, challenging the Corinthians. He's saying, don't you know, like, if you have a grieve against one another, that you should be able to settle it yourselves? And, and he challenged the Corinthian church to be a place where civil disputes can be decided. In he the end of verse six, you see, uh, he, he says, um, a brother goes against brother, and before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He's just saying for Christians to sue Christians over civil matters, it's already a loss. You lose for yourself. You're losing relational capital. You're losing a witness. You're losing social capital. We have the opportunity in the gospel of Jesus Christ to celebrate the abundance of God's love that we experience through Jesus giving himself for us. So the, 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 the opportunity to have a higher humanity when it comes to civil litigation, get this, is to live in loss for others' gain. It's to take a hit personally so that, I mean, that's the gospel, so you, we love at cost so that other people can experience the ridiculous grace and unconditional love of God. You know, uh, civil Christian lawsuits among Christians, it still affects a church in many ways today. Uh, I'll never forget the first church where I was a youth pastor, not in this church, uh, the first church years and years ago, um, there was a division in the youth group because there were two cousins uh, that were grown and the division was in the church too, and the, these cousins were uh, litigating over land uh, on, you know, on the backside of the mountain where I served. And because they couldn't rise above and, and settle a simple dispute, then everybody, 
uh, was taking sides. It's really sad. And it hurt the name of Jesus, and it divided the body of Jesus. So it's, this isn't something that's an ancient reality for the Corinthian church. The second brush fire is that the, the Christians in Corinth were actually justifying living like the city of Corinth by equating sexual desires with appetite for food. Uh, we saw this. The food's for the body, the body's for food. They're using this simple baseline human desire of hunger to just justify their desire to feed themselves sexually. Um, you know, Paul, Paul says really, really clearly uh, that we are called to flee from sexual immorality. You see this in the back. Uh, the, the higher ideal is not to just give yourself feeding your flesh, but verse 18, to flee from sexual immorality. immorality. Every sin a person commits outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against their own body. Now, the word for sexual immorality here in Greek is the Greek word pornea. It's the base word for our pervasive and just albatross on our culture right now, pornography. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians that you are giving yourself to this pornographic, lustful, baseline instinct of animalistic instinct of, of just satisfying sexual desires. And we can really identify with our society is plagued with pornography. And Christians are, are called to flee. That language of fleeing pornography, it takes us back to a really powerful story, uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. Do you remember this story? Uh, Joseph was uh, a slave in Egypt, and he was working for Potiphar, who was the second in command in Egypt. And Potiphar's wife, it says, day after day, saw that Joseph was easy on the eyes, right? Oh, that's a strapping young man. And she tried to make herself available. She tried to make it so Joseph would want to experience, you know, uh, what it was like. Now, you're laughing at me, but was, this, is, this is a coat really inviting Joseph to give himself to feed that basic human animal passion, desire, hunger. And there's one scene in Genesis 39 where she actually grabs Joseph by the coat and he flees. It says Joseph fled from her and he ran away. She used the coat to frame him and accused him of, of a sexual assault. He was put in prison unjustly. He did the right thing and was punished for it. Same thing that will happen in our culture if we flee from sexual immorality and do not satisfy these desires. But, but the, the reality is, like you and I, if we, if we want to get what's right, and we might have church hurt, and we're not going to trust a church to help us in lawsuits, if we want to get what we need and satisfy our baseline desires. How do we do this? What's a gospel culture like? Let me tell you. It isn't based on your self-resolve. It's not based on, on your determination. The gospel gives us higher realities, higher ideals. Look at this passage. It's unbelievable. There's an infinite reality. Uh, verse 2, Do you not know, says Paul, the saints will judge the world? 
There's an eternal reality, verse 3 we didn't read. Do you not know that Christians will judge angels? Like when you come to Christ and you're a part of his family, it is not this, this here today, gone tomorrow. There are eternal realities that will one day be true of you in Christ. That God will, through his saints, rule the world in the new heavens and the new earth. But also, those eternal realities are made available today through the work of Christ. There's an already reality, and we can have this infinite power to live above a culture that litigates their way to get, even with among the brothers and sisters, what they feel is right. Now, second higher reality that, that he gives, it's, it's not infinite like that. This one's intimate. So concerning litigation, we have the promise of the gospel to give us power. That promise is God's abundant love, that you actually have enough to live in loss for others' gain. You're not going to run out because God's love is never ending. But the intimate reality that Christians are the temple of God's spirit. Concerning temptation, the power of the gospel gives us promise. Promise that even when we flee, even when we don't live by baseline instinct and desire, that we have something more intimate, something more personal, something more transforming. When we have been washed, sanctified, and justified, made children of God, we can turn away, we can flee from everything that is involved with sexual immorality. Why? You are temples of God's Holy Spirit. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? He goes on, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus gave his life. If you're a Christian, he gave his life for you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Yes, Honoring God with our bodies has everything to do with eating well, exercising, resting. But the focus here is glorifying God by fleeing sexual immorality. You're not your own. So there's no place for pornography in your life. There's no place for your eyes to gaze again and again as if people are just objects. There's no place for sexting or Snapchatting inappropriate pictures. There's no place for infidelity in your mind, in your heart. There's no place for hookups. There's no place for friends with benefits. There's no place for one-night stands. There's no place for you to gaze and to go to websites, TikToks, or inappropriate Instagrams. We flee from that. Why? Because there's an intimate reality of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. 
You see, all of us long for this higher ideal for humanity. And the empty promises that you're actually going to be satisfied if you win a civil lawsuit against a brother or sister, or that you're going to be satisfied if you believe the billboards and follow these baseline desires and, and feed your hungers, like, they're, they're lies. Only the gospel, only the work of Jesus gives us this. And, and the gospel celebrates this higher standard for life and of love. How does it do that? First, you have a higher view of others than you do yourself. The gospel frees you to love as you've been loved, to serve as you've been served, to give your life away, to live in loss for others' gain. I mean, this is how Paul summarizes it in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. You're not orphans. As loved children, walk in love as Christ has loved you. How did he love you? He gave himself from you. So when a brother or sister wants to litigate in a civil suit and they want to take your coat, then get a good lawyer and make sure you take everything they have. No. Jesus says we give our coat also. This, hurt. this, is, this is like uncomfortable stuff, isn't it? We have a higher view of others and ourselves, and we have a higher view of the human body. Your body, your flesh, it matters. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. He did that as first fruits. Your body, your flesh, this will live forever because we will rise like Christ. So we honor God with our bodies. This is what Paul says in, in what we talked about the gospel the first week. The fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, who have died. For as a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. This matters. Honor God with your body. Flee from sexual immorality, but not on your own self-resolve, knowing that God loves you so much that he wants an intimate relationship so bad that he lives inside of you. You're his temple. Allow the celebration of that holiness to be what drives you to flee. It's an identity, not that you live for, but a reality that God gives you in Christ. You live from it. It's who you are. So let the hands of God's grace gather you from flying around, seeking to be satisfied and bring you back to the hive that is our home in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is it possible? Here's how it's possible. If you're like me, you're like, well, I'm not doing too good on all this uh, <laughs> like living gospel culture stuff. Here's the reality. When God came to humanity, he took on flesh. Your body's important. Jesus became fully human, and he, though he lived a perfect life, was uh, accused falsely and uh, sentenced by a kangaroo court, a stupid human pagan court in the name of religion, even worse. And he was condemned so that those of us who should be condemned, we can find forgiveness and be set free. But even more than that, his body, gave up his spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus cried from the cross, becoming our sin. He died so that our body can be resurrected with his, so that we can have his spirit inside of us. The gospel of Jesus is not only good news of salvation from the penalty of sin, but it's also freedom from the power of sin by awakening our hearts with God's steadfast love. And a gospel culture is an ecosystem in the church where our primary identity in Christ embodies divine realities, infinite what will be, and intimate what is already true. And that will elevate our life and our love as humans because you are created in God's image. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. And we believe, will you help us with our unbelief, Lord? Uh, we long to live this higher ideal for our humanity. And frankly, Lord, we have trouble trusting uh, your hand that wants to bring us home to the sweetness of gospel community. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe and that you would give us peace in knowing uh, your abundant love that is always willing to give so that we can give no matter what people ask and that we can be secure knowing the intimate reality that you live inside of us, that we can go completely countercultural and flee from sexual immorality. Lord, would you make that happen in our hearts and our homes? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.